Sleepy Computer. Hi, this is Sleepy Computer. Uh, we're back after a bit of a break. Uh, this is our first episode in a little while, and the start of a new series of episodes, which is exciting. Woo! Yeah, enthusiasm is palpable. <laughs> so it's a similar format to before. What we're basically doing is we're using AI to generate uh, a short story. The AI has been trained on a lot of different uh, books and writings from around the internet. Uh, the model you might have heard of is, is called GPT-3, and, and we're using it to challenge it to create compelling fiction uh, and and it doesn't always strictly make sense and and that's kind of where where we come in uh yep. we basically just give it a rough genre and we tweak it on the way and hopefully we come out with something that is a little unusual uh, and then we read it out and give it give it some life you know give it some legs unusual to say the least yeah i mean we've had well all sorts of weird stuff happen oh boy yeah but um it's a new series new energy we're ready to go it's it's exciting so let's literally just get on with it uh, i think that's the best way uh, if you're new to the podcast welcome and hopefully you'll pretty quickly get an idea of what this is all about derek sighed as he loaded his tray with plates two steak specials and a side of garlic bread he walked over to table five who was staring out of the window he coughed to get their attention. You know what day it is. Yes, one of them said. Well, can you tell me by looking at this? Derek reached into his pocket and pulled out a small piece of paper which had been folded up. It was an old map that showed the entire country on its surface. On the top there was a drawing of the whole county, but then it had also drawn a line through the centre showing where all the towns were located. The diners looked at the map before confidently announcing the day. August 15th. Oh, good, Derek muttered. As soon as the food arrived, everyone started chatting about their day. One woman began talking about her husband, who she claimed worked for the Ministry of Defence, and sent him off to Afghanistan so he could fight terrorists. She went on to talk about how he would always send money home every month, even though they lived in different countries now. Another man talked about his daughter, who was currently studying music in college. She was learning to play the vacuum cleaner, and was having trouble mastering the fingering techniques. The woman laughed at this before asking the man if his brother's family had arrived from Norway yet. He said that they were still on their way, but had called to say they were running late because of some issues with their Eurorail pass. With that, the couple returned to their dinner. Have you ever uh, listened to a vacuum cleaner recital? I have. Um, I must say it is a beautifully haunting instrument. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> his table now cleared, Derek brought over the bill to them, then went back to the kitchen once more. The chef was called Owen, and he was a fat, bald man who didn't really like to chat. He was Scottish, but he'd moved down to Cornwall in his youth to start his culinary career. After working in several small restaurants, he found himself an aspiring chef at the local country club. Now he owned a share in a very successful Italian restaurant. His partner was Camellia, a stern woman in her late 30s who had a 17-year-old daughter from a previous marriage. Owen looked at Derek with a disappointed face. Jeez, Derek, you look awful. What's up, my good friend? He spoke with a thick Scottish accent. <laughs> Typ <laughs> typical of someone who had lived in the Highlands. I'm tired, said Derek. I've been working here for five years, and my recent overnight shifts are really knocking me out. Owen nodded in empathy. Too right they would. If you want a day off in the coming week or so, just let me know and I can plan the work roster. 
a very it's almost an unintelligibly strong Scottish accent. I I've really been practicing over the break. <laughs> I mean, it really shows. I know the mastery of accent. This is such a good showreel for you. Yep. Owen tried not to work the staff too hard, but it was difficult running a twenty-four-seven restaurant in the West Country without a little sacrifice. Owen was always much more considerate of his team's work-life balance than, say, Camellia. The chef had offered him a day off before during an overnight shift, which meant that he actually could have some time to himself. He looked at the notice board where all the staff could post messages or important announcement. It was filled with post-it notes. One said, Please remember to kill the caterpillars that seem to have infested the bar. Another had a message reminding all members of staff to drink responsibly. On another note, it said, 20% off for all NHS and police workers. And under that, someone had written, Firemen suck. <laughs> fair play. That's fair, yeah. The rotor was pinned next to this assortment of messages. It had 15 staff members down one side, with different coloured highlighters indicating their shifts. Blue shifts were the days they worked, green shifts were the alternating days off, and red shifts were the nights they worked, or at least were scheduled to work. If a staff member needed to swap days off with another member of staff, they could write a note on their name. I don't... Do I care? I think this is actual... Like, it's just given us office management. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm learning a lot about, like, how to manage shifts in a restaurant. And honestly, I'm, I'm learning so much. Well, I hope, like, the rotor becomes an essential plot point. Otherwise, this I, is a huge waste of time. I really hope so. It's colour. It's colour. Yeah, it's nice. If a staff member needed to swap days off with another member of staff, they would write a note on their name. This prompted an onslaught of blue highlighter, as people cancelled each other's days off to take the days they wanted off. The system was a bit of a mess, but at least it meant they didn't have to hire any more people. Derek had been working for five days solid, with only toilet breaks. He couldn't remember the last time he had a whole day off or a good night's sleep. Owen dinged the bell and yelled, Service! Which Derek thought was a little rude, as he was stood right there. Owen was nothing if not stoic, though. He wasn't one for theatrics. He suddenly had a thought of why he was so run down. It had been almost three days since he had last spoken to his family. He looked down at the hot plate and saw what he had to deliver to table nine. It was one of Owen's revolting chef specials. Infused old bay leaves in sweet milk, chopped with crushed snails and chopped banana. The combination sounded horrible enough to make anyone feel sick. I feel ill. Just hearing that description and I love anything I think there's something about crushed snails that <laughs> and chop I don't know it's the chopped banana well, yeah, no, in chop the banana. sweet milk oh okay that. sweet milk yeah okay I quite Bad. like chopped banana he looked at the couples arguing over their bill and to his horror he realised they were his best friends Jennifer and Steve this had to be some sort of cruel joke everyone knew that couples fought but he had never seen Jennifer argue with Steve like this before he rushed over the special and interrupted the fight Steve was shouting at Jennifer. You're just a common school teacher. I can't believe I got talked into dating you. We're through. You're always talking about how you want to improve the lives of children. And it makes me sick. Because of you, I can't even enjoy my delicious meal. Steve then threw all of his food at Jennifer and stormed out of the place. Jennifer was too horrified to make a retort. Are you okay? Asked Derek. I am now, said Jennifer as she burst into tears. Derek walked her to the bathroom to let her calm down in private. Jennifer was normally so composed that he didn't know how to react in this situation. She was a mess covered in meringue and soup. <laughs> As she dried her eyes, she said in between sniffs, He had no right to say all of that. Steve is probably the kind of guy you want to just 
hug after a bad day. I'll show him when I get my hands on his oilskin coat. What is an oilskin coat? <laughs> it's um from it's from a very oily animal. <laughs> like um a whale? Um, or a seal, like a seal pup. Yeah, like a seal, like a oh, seal pup. Oh, that's really cruel. Um, I hope it's not from a seal pup. Well, no, sometimes it's from a, a, a mature seal, but they're very oily animals filled okay. with blubber. That's good. To, thank you so much. <laughs> You're for welcome. Education, education lesson. You should go on holiday, Derek suggested, not having the heart to tell her that she had completely lost him. Holiday? Jennifer asked, and then realizing Derek was plotting something, she said, a holiday where? Where can I escape this never-ending rain that makes everyone so miserable? Our friends Thomas and Keith run a luxury hotel in Dunslow. The food is delicious, the rooms are lovely, and there's plenty to do uh, to keep you active. They're actually the nicest people you'll ever meet. Let me pay them for the holiday, and we'll talk about it again once you've calmed down. Derek beamed. He was so generous! Of course, Thomas and Keith didn't actually exist. He would have to invent her entire <laughs> trip and couldn't think of anywhere off the top of his head. That was nice and not boring. He made a mental note to look it up when he got home. A couple sat down at table four, forcing Derek to rejoin the real world. It looked like another boring rich couple who ordered poached eggs and nothing else, just like all the other spoiled rich people around here. Derek sighed as he set about making brunch. Why did rich people like eating eggs so much? Maybe it reminded them of being poor, but they never really had to worry about starving, so it was a scenario that they had only read about in books. There must be something deeper he was missing. Perhaps the egg represented knowledge. Once you had eaten the egg of knowledge, you were no longer ignorant to the world around you. At least that's how Derek justified it when he often ordered eggs whilst writing his novels. <laughs> the posh lady snapped her fingers and called out, Bye! He sighed. It was one of those days. Yes, madam, he inquired, with just a hint of sass. You blokes are supposed to be so good with directions, she said. Could you tell me how to get to number 10 Downing Street from here? It was at that moment he recognised her. It was Margaret Thatcher. Oh my god! She had already been prime time leading light, times person of the year, three times, and was already fetching up to be the third British term prime minister, prime time minister, prime time, <laughs> despite being only in her 30s. It appeared she was hell-bent on world domination. Last night's news had revealed that she only slept for five hours a night and was noticeably more manic in public than previously. At this moment in time, she looked just as sane as anyone else, but Derek suspected she was just as unfriendly to humans as she was to trolls. Derek didn't know where Downing Street was, but he knew someone who did, and whistled loudly for Spider. The haggard-looking muscle boy slid gracefully down the staircase, as always, and boomed, DIRECTIONS! Derek left Margaret to question the clever spider about directions and returned to the kitchen. Right, so, like, this story, I honestly think, started off pretty on the rails. Yeah. It and was... now, there's an anthropomorphic spider who's obviously done the knowledge <laughs> <laughs> and is giving directions to Margaret Thatcher, who is the British part-time prime, prime minister. Well, at least now we know when it's set, which is... Like the 80s? The 80s, yeah, roughly? possibly. I mean... That would explain the meringue. That would that would explain a lot, actually. He kicked a can on the floor. He was having a pretty rough day. Owen could always be relied on to cheer him up. Cook, 
said Derek into a remote region of the chef's ear. <laughs> Owen looked slightly, but only very slightly, ridiculous, wearing a wet t-shirt. What with it being an international novel writing month? Owen was definitely insane and liked to spend money on useless things like mechanical pets. Today, he was wearing Mama Splicer, the adder whom he regarded as his wife. <laughs> there's a lot to unpick here. So he buys mechanical pets. Oh, because you've seen this. This is in 2020. This is going to be a big toy for Christmas. I've seen this. It's like a. Uh, like an emu or something. It's got like a neck, a dodo maybe, and it dances. Or flamingo. I don't know. Some sort of bird. Oh, is it the thing that poops? I don't know if it poops. Yeah, it might poop. Yeah, it might poop. So Peter yeah. is like a mechanical pet. Oh, he loves those. Like he loves like those the the uh, puccino or whatever it's called. It was like a dog that that like barked and oh and yeah, did yeah, yeah, flips. yeah 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 exactly exactly that's it. But okay. also he thinks it's his wife. Even though I think we've already covered that he has a wife. He does. I, what? What's her name again? I can't remember. Her name. I don't. It's not going to come up again. No. Who cares? Are you feeling sad? He asked. Yes, I bloody well am. Stated Derek matter-of-factly. He couldn't believe he was taking advice from a man married to a mechanical adder with hydraulics for legs. Spiders. <laughs> Wait, snakes don't even. Snakes don't have legs. Yeah. While he puffed on his Chesterfield, he told Owen all about Jennifer, and when she was due home. The action I need is clear, said Owen, clutching his wrench tight. Turn her into the perfect woman with my unperfected create-a-wife technology. It was a mad idea, but then so is everything the insane oaf comes up with. What exactly does this invention do? Asks the Derek. <laughs> well, explained the chef, I first create an animatronic animal of your choice then I take the soul of your to-be partner, in this case, that's Jennifer, or whatever her name is. And then I put it inside of the animal, and you marry it! Call him old-fashioned, but this sounds a bit fishy to our Derek. Got anything that's 100% safe? How about my life support shacks? Yes and no, Derek! Offended, the chef snaps back. Don't question my invention, just because you have no creative talent. Fair enough, he thought. Looking through the list of pets, most sound either mundane or downright dangerous. Something caught his eye in the corner of the piece of paper, however. It was an advert encouraging amateur bakers to join a television talent program. It was the most prestigious baking competition in the country. Ooh. Each week, talented bakers from across the nation submit a selection of their baked goods for judgment by Miss Lady Cakes, a 70s television presenter, whose catchphrase is, Finally, I can eat a sweet treat on the television now and judge it. It's <laughs> not a great catchphrase. Not a great catchphrase. It's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's just, this is my job and I'm going to judge your baking. It's not a catchphrase. I mean... I, I feel I feel that it's a magnificent tribute to our capitalistic society that she has remained as thin as every other TV personality despite boasting the daily calorific intake of the nation's favorite sweets and puddings last week was Christmas week which saw bakers complete to make the traditional Christmas strudel nativity pie and iced smarties I would absolutely love a slice of I, nativity pie I what okay now what is in nativity pie I don't know I'm gonna guess this is a guess there are shepherds at the nativity, right? So maybe it's just a shepherd's pie. It's a shepherd's pie. But, but also, there's myrrh in it. Ooh, and 
frankincense if you can get hold and of it. And gold. Gold leaf. Gold maybe, leaf. It's covered in gold leaf. In third place, Graham the Trumpeter's effort, impressed by its blending of chestnuts, raisins, and plump figs, and the curly nerd who shall remain nameless came second with an iced plum pie set into a framework of crispy sugary wafers topped by an infamous brand of chocolate butter cake a popular choice while baking for your girlfriend because it was cheap the studio audience (laughs) were often known to chant bloody Bloody Celia Celia whenever a baker dropped something or made a mistake after the poltergeist of the show's former host who died whilst icing Jaffa cakes. Her catchphrase, every week another bake show and another (laughs) chance to bleed, was still regarded as the most unlikely quote in a children's TV show. For last year's grand final, the two finalists both had to bake a set of wedding cakes for 600 guests from dawn to dusk, whilst at all times accompanied by a four-piece backing band. Judith had managed to focus, despite the saxophonist causing her custard to split, and had iced her cakes in record time. Unfortunately, her hubby-to-be's forklift broke, and he injured his back whilst transferring the cakes. Curly Nerd managed to keep cool, despite having frosting wiped into his eyes by hair constantly in the way, and managing to transport the heart-shaped cakes perfectly. The unnamed curly-haired nerd boy had therefore clinched the victory. We still don't know his name. Had therefore clinched the victory and had gone on not to be a household name. Curly nerd married his nurse and lived a peaceful life, bonded by their mutual passion for iced confectionery. This is it! Derek shouted, startling Owen, who was reading a newspaper. And the two went to embrace. Derek sprinted out the door and beckoned Owen to follow him. They both caught a train bound for London, and from there boarded a train to the West Midlands. The competition was being held in a small castle in the countryside called Bum Hills Everdust. By the time they had boarded the coach, they found, to their glee, a chocolate river travelled through the train in between seats 13C and 13D. Owen was in 13B and next to the washroom. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's annoying when you don't reserve a seat and you end up next to the washroom instead of the The chocolate chocolate river. river, I'm just pleased to know that the the chocolate river has no connection to the washroom. Uh, Exactly. Derek was in seats 12B, 11B, 10B and 9B. He really spread out. (laughs) Which he spread out like vertically. It's it's like he's got his legs through the chair in front. The coach was full of aspirational bakers, making delights such as cupcakes topped with Finnish people, black hole bastlaws, and fondant fugs. Many groups brainstorming on all the ins and outs of cake decoration filled the aisles. In between the buzzing chatter, he caught phrases such as citrus juice and blenders and an extra bassoon here could solve all your problems, creating an alchemy of excitement ahead of the auditions. The train pulled into the castle, and a lady with a clipboard approached the excited competitors. She was wearing a name tag that simply said, Mr. Pounder. Welcome to the British Baking Homicides, she said, with a dry tone normally reserved for caves. You will all be interviewed in regards to your bake, therefore being allotted one of the ovens to put your creation in melting point. Any questions? 
This was not a normal thing to happen in the competition, and this is what aroused suspicion with an unlucky baker number 13. He was immediately inclined to raise his hand and ask, Why were we not told the cakes didn't need to be alive? I could have frozen the cake for a much longer period of time. I might have made rose jelly for the filling and decorated like Ed. She was interrupted by Mr. Pounder, raising her hand and saying, Your life is a very overrated quality. Now get your sorry ass inside the castle. And walking away. Secretly, Derek quite liked her response a lot. All the bakers trooped into the castle and lined up in front of the lords and ladyships, the princesses of frosting, and celebrity pastry chefs, who were frequent judges, such as Milady Cakes, <laughs> Sir Mould, and the Countess of Conversation. <laughs> Several knights stood beside them, formed like spearheading projections towards the competitors, who stood silently, hoping to not trigger the sharply homed weapons with their movements. Milady Cakes stood and everybody politely clapped as she did not fall over. She had a habit of toppling on account of her legs and, ne <laughs> and needed scaffolding, wooden blocks and cherry brandy just to remain stable. After a while, everybody stopped clapping as it was ritual to just begin again when Milady Cakes has finished speaking, which would be years later. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the British Baking Homicide! She bellowed in delight. Sir Mould jumped up in the air and shouted, Yeehaw! This, this year, she continued, we expect the competition to be tougher than ever. There will be death, she nodded gravely, and several other members of the judging panel nodded as well. Nobody was sure why they continued the charade. But also Joy, tell me, what are you bringing to bake for us? She beamed at the competitors. A quinoa cake! One of them said. Milady Cake's face contorted into an expression that in anybody else might resemble concern. Oh! Milady said. Do you eat it? Or just put it straight in the toilet and save everybody some time? Several members of the panel erupted into laughter, as did Sir Mould. No, replied the hapless young baker. You eat it! Professor Percy played a quick succession of a few notes on the accordion that resulted in his famous song, now well known to everybody who had ever visited the castle. Put, put it, it in, in the, the toilet. toilet. Put, put it in the toilet. Put it in the toilet. Your stupid cake. He rocked in time with those expertly plucked strings. You know, the strings of the accordion. <laughs> As I know well. <laughs> The suggestion of decanting awful baking products into the latrine was a frequent suggestion of Milady Cakes, and had in fact become somewhat of a catchphrase. That isn't to say that Milady Cakes wasn't a woman of culture. In fact, she and Sir Mould had always taken part in the decanting process themselves. Woe unto he or she who denied their cultural heritage. Other members of the panel added stuff, like sudden choruses of slap the annoying little hobbit impersonator chants. They seemed insistent that Percy was in fact a hobbit. F future tests would reveal this to be true. Now we begin with the first week's challenge, continued Milady Cakes. I want you to bake for me the best meat pie you can, she bellowed luxuriously. I feel after a hard day's condescension, a meat pie would do beautifully. A large one. 
know that failure to impress will result in serious repercussions, she added in garbled annoyance as Sir Mould struggled to suppress laughter. She turned on her heels and strode towards the door, dropping a few crumbs of gatto from her pocket on the way out. The other judges filed behind her and the door slammed shut, leaving the competitors in the great hall alone. At the annual baking competition, like many medieval-based reality cooking shows, Milady Cakes demands meat pies and other baked goods from competitors. Really, she can make them perform practically any task imaginable. Derek was so nervous, but he had to impress the judges if he stood any chance of victory. He dutifully pulled out a large silicon mould of various meats and chopped them all tirelessly. While this went on, the door swung open once more. Whilst others babble, a leader springs into action, said the theme tune to the large doors. The two presenters of the competition entered the hall, well known from their days hosting daytime chat show, the zany jibber-jabbers, the slightly rotten-looking Hamish, and the apple-pie-fresh-faced, semi-mythical being known affectionately to the young as Tinkerbell. They both filed into the raised stage above the competitors. Tinkerbell began a lively commentary to the proceedings that seemed to go on without end. Tinkerbell and Hamish were well liked for their fondness of puns and for the sickening affection displayed between the two. Also present was the legendary Len Goodman, who, although capable of lying on floors and commenting on them, seemed to have difficulty remembering which show he was supposed to be on. Derek tried to focus on assembling his meat pie. Once he'd assembled the meat, he created a pastry casing from eggs, an egg, and pastry. <laughs> Primitive, but efficient. Unfortunately, during the second stage of cooking, he suffered from bromodification due to baking, a chemical reaction that occurs during cooking, resulting in an aggressive and disproportionate increase in carpal tunnel genes, which made his hands swell up and caused his wrists to drastically reduce in size. He struggled to get the pie out of the oven, but it did have an excellent bake. The judges walked up to his creation, and Milady Cakes frowned as she looked at Derek's massive hands. Her face scrunched up, and she took out her pen knife, slashing the pie. She tasted a bit. It's vague what this tastes like, but it's certainly one of those meat pies you hear about on the radio. I don't hate it! The other judges all mumbled in agreement, even though they hadn't tasted the pie yet. The rest of the panel was so subservient to Milady Cakes that it was really quite embarrassing. They often washed her feet and put on dresses made out of stale bread. Lawrence Salt gazed upon her with sympathy. The idiot! The other judges went back to the house for a quiet night in, although it later transpires that the time between 7pm and 8pm for Led Goodman involves some sort of cocaine fueled gang war in a mansion owned by former winners of the UK baking contest. The hedonistic extravaganza causes problems for Lawrence Salt later down the line, but that's another story for another time. Milady Cakes, though, returns to her warm bath-sized tub with soft boiling water and a lavender oil for comfort. How lovely! How nice it must be! The next day, another challenge was set. This time, said Hamish, the buoyant co-host, we want to really challenge your abilities. We're looking for someone to create the perfect funeral pie with a sweet feeling. A funeral pie. A funeral pie. A pie that you have at, at funeral. the funeral. Yeah. Okay, got it. The judges will be looking for a respectful composition and an accurate sense of ceremony baked onto that pie. 
as well as a lattice structure on top that should make us cry and dab the corners of our eyes with a lace bra. A lace bra. Lace bra. We're very excited to have such talented judges who will judge your creations on creativity, radiance, and dare we say it, gravitas. Get making pies. One of the contestants had fainted and required rousing with a brass band and some smelling salts. But once they sobered up, they all got on with it. Derek picked up his ingredients and soon discovered that he'd not been given any pastry shortcrust, but instead had been given around 5,000 oven-baked potatoes. But according to the rules of the show, he'd just have to make do. He reduced the potatoes into a thick soup using a rolling pin and then chopped up around 150 kilograms of onions, mincing them with a choir mixture in order to create Onion Masterpiece! Trademark. He combined half and half cream and mixture by hand and set to work creating a pie filling that he planned to have 12 inches deep, 7 feet across and placing 400 candles in a respectful design around the pie. He figured only a funeral pie of this magnitude could induce the correct amount of grief. The next day, as the challenge time drew, he heard the opening strains of a fanfare and knew it was almost over. He knew he needed an introvert to light the candles so that they wouldn't be blown out by the draft caused by his ego. And he settled on a young man named James, who really liked himself but wasn't that confident, and who gladly accepted the invitation. A timid little man with short legs and a bright green mento on his face stumbled and shuddered out into the middle of the great pie, lighting each candle reluctantly. He wanted to get back to his ill-fitting shell where he felt comfortable, but he didn't want to upset the seven-foot-tall, devastatingly handsome Derek, whose sweet words could easily convince a priest to have evil butt-monkey triplets. He finished lighting all the candles and slithered off back to the edge of the candlelight, sitting on a little folding chair to watch and see what would happen. In the few moments before James had made it back to safety, the beautiful pie had caused a terrific heat, and as Jim stepped away from the candles, the crust began to billow out in the heat. Gently and steadily at first, but gaining speed and strength, and baking the funeral pie into a golden, beautiful bake. Milady Cakes walked over, and her monocle almost fell out. I say, this is quite the specimen. I dare say it's one of the better experiments on this show. It makes me want to sob my heart out at this morbid and delicious funeral pie. But then, I am bitten by the macabre, being a herpetologist and all. And also, I'm a frickin' girl! She brought her bong pipe to her lips and took a deep whiff. The camera crew panned away. <laughs> explains a lot. That explains so much. She fetched a giant cake slice and began the action of cutting out a slice to sample the bake. Bending down to the ground, she scooped up a little bowlful and walked it over to the rest of the judges. They all burst into applause, eager to taste the funeral pie. They each grabbed the smallest fork imaginable and gently tasted the meal. One by one, they wept a single tear. They all burst into applause and spoke confidently and boldly. Ah, truly wonderful. A salty sweet symphony on the tongue. The crust is just perfect. This is art, Steve the cameraman said. But there was one, Charles Bite My Coke cousin, who lingered to the back 
remarking that you can taste the tears and other awful things like that. The judges raised their bespangled paddles to score the creation. Seven, eight, seven, and a, a colossal 23 out of 30 and a winner, hands down. A dramatic pause as the presenters stare at each other in silence, shocked. Derek was ugly crying over his creation, shaking hands with the judges as they all compliment him on his master pie. Confetti falls from the ceiling, along with large marzipan letters that spell words to congratulate him. And the winner is... D-E-R-E-K! Host Hamish announces with a saccharine grin that reminds you of rotting honey. He slinks up the stairs to shake his hand. Tinkerbell woke up and immediately started to do jazz hands in an attempt to raise the profile of the event. I have to admit, she started, when I saw those oysters in the oven, I thought they were a corner. But now you've managed to save them. By now, the live studio audience were applauding vigorously, and some of them had even begun to use their legs to applause as well. Oh, the night is still so young, Tinkerbell teased. There is plenty of time for fun. She shook a giant bottle of champagne and sprayed it all over the judges before sending them off to dry off with some fairy magic. So that's it for this round of the British Baking Homicides. The host clapped his hands slowly. But the party is far from over. Let the dance-off begin. The studio was immediately flooded with green beans and a giant disco ball dropped from the ceiling, scattering tiny beams of light everywhere and reflecting them onto the crowd below. The famous baking dance classic Popcorn started to play and royal guards dressed as chefs and bakers marched on stage in time with the beat as the hosts handed out trophy after trophy and Derek was interviewed. That was a really close contest, Hamish enthused. How does it feel to win? Derek looked at him with bloodshot eyes. Give me that microphone, he pleaded. I have just something to say. He quenched his thirst for revenge. There's no easy way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. Your mother sucks, banana pudding! And with that, the host ripped the microphone from him and stormed off stage. The crowd loved that. Derek was such a bad boy. He went on to upset the queen by putting beef in the royal wedding cake. The queen is a lifelong vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And he ended up marrying pop music sensation Little Tanya. But as for the little cafe where he worked, it was transformed into a large branch of IKEA furniture stores. And Derek continues to work there to this day. Oh! And that's the end of the story. Yay! Well, a bit odd. Um, yes, very odd. It started odd. off like pretty solid. It all yeah. sort of made sense. And then it almost immediately fell apart. Well, okay. So I'm trying to reconcile what happened. Yeah. So um, Jennifer was upset because she and her boyfriend broke up. Oh, and yeah. Derek wanted to put her into an animal. But then he saw an ad for... A baking show oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. entered. He was going to totally put her inside some sort of pneumatic pheasant. Yeah. And yeah, he suddenly it, saw an advert and only, was like completely distracted. The story's gone to pot. Yeah, only because he got distracted 
Well, it's good that, that saved, she's, she survived. Yeah, yeah, that saved her life, basically. Oh, we don't know. Wait, he said he was going to put his the soul of the person in the animal. We don't know that that kills them. Maybe, well, he, maybe he like photocopies their soul. Okay, maybe. Maybe um, his wife's still alive. There is hope. <laughs> I hope. I mean, it's uh, it's a really odd like science fiction angle, and I thought we were going to go down that route, and then we didn't. And then it just swerved. It just turned into sort of a bake off daytime uh, <laughs> competition show. Or yeah. Something. I mean, yeah, it was basically Bake Off. Um, yeah, I mean, quite interesting. Um, did, did Derek win? Derek won, yeah. Derek won. We don't know, really know who he was against, but his funeral pie was so beautiful that they wept, mm. which is appropriate for well, a funeral pie. I think the main reason why they wept so much was because it was full of onions. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah, you're right. 150 kilograms of onions, which probably, as you say, contributed to... The weeping. The weeping. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that makes sense to me, actually. I, I can kind of appreciate that. That's quite clever tactically to um, just dump in an absolute crap load of onions. So it might not have actually been a very beautiful pie, but they were thinking, oh, well, uh, it's my so, body's weeping. It's so intensely oniony. Mm. I have no choice. Raw onion. The vapors. The, the vapors. I truly have the vapors. Mm-hmm. Could be that. That's a good point. I think that's probably what happened. And he, well, so at the end, he. He had some beef with, um, with yeah. The, I think he was maybe hosts. quite angry, or he's kind of. He's, he's, it strikes me as that he wanted to sort of be a bad boy in the public's eyes. Yeah. So we thought, what better way to do this? I mean, the public love a bad boy. I mean, look at Len Goodman. Here he is on a cocaine fueled rampage binge, and yet he's basically a national treasure. So I think he's saying, I want to cut my teeth in the same way. Why don't I start by saying that the host's mother sucks banana pudding? And really, honestly, that would offend anyone, really. It would offend anybody, as you say. It's uh, Presumably, it's it's in an early sort of tea time family slot. Mm-hmm. That would probably have to be cut from the program because it is obviously quite, um, well, it's quite insulting. Well, and awkward to see, really. I mean... Yeah, I, I think he's kind of undone himself a little bit there. And, and actually, to know that things didn't end happily, he upset the queen oh, by putting yeah. beef in the royal wedding cake, which is not good. And, and then to have him... You know, you know, end up at IKEA. Things sort of go full circle. Yeah, and it's it's a comment on the fickle nature of fame that mm-hmm. he ends up doing. You know, kind of goes back to his day job. You know. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I think is a cautionary tale for for people that want to go around saying rude things. We never got to the bottom of why rich people like eating eggs so much. No, we didn't. Um... There was a lovely a lovely thought that it might be to do with knowledge. The egg representing knowledge. knowledge. Once you've eaten the egg, I thought you're that was smarter. very. Pro- I thought that was very profound. It, yeah, it was quite profound. Uh, I'm not a big egg eater myself. Um, I know this. Yeah, and and that makes me feel like I'm missing out if, well, if you learn something every time you, you do. Eat. You do, and I've I've noticed this every time I have an egg. I've learned something. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, I've only ever had. I, I'm pleased to say I haven't had one of the chef specials with the uh, crushed nails and the chopped banana. No, it's, yeah. I think it's for the best that that restaurant was shut down and turned into an IKEA. Yeah, yeah. makes sense to me. Probably health reasons. Well, I mean, there's a lot of loose ends that weren't tied up. Um, we don't really know what happened to his two best friends or to Margaret Thatcher. Or to Margaret Thatcher. Did Margaret Thatcher ever make it to Ten Downing Street? We do not know. But a lovely cameo. <laughs> For the Iron Lady, who appears in this story to be able to function on very little sleep, yeah, but also can't find Ten Downing Street, <laughs> and has to ask 
a spider? See, I think I I think that this was before she was prime minister because uh, she was on her way to be the the third British term prime time prime minister time yeah. minister. Yes, no, you're right. Okay, so this is this is set before she's assumed that office. Yeah. So she's just trying to find it, basically. Yeah, like, I mean... Maybe she's going to knock on and ask if she can do oh, it. Oh, maybe in this universe, that's how you become the prime time minister. You've just got to find it. It's just so yep. difficult to find. Yeah. That makes sense. And obviously, you'd start in a calf, wouldn't you? You'd start... Oh, God, yeah. And ask a spider. Always <laughs> ask a spider. It's the way to do it. They know. They... Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean pretty weird outing for for the algorithm like already yeah um, i loved it though i had a fun time yeah i th- i quite liked the idea of like the angle of a of a tv competition i thought that was quite fun mm. um we've got uh, like a nice variety of stories coming up so um make sure you you sort of stay tuned for for more updates we're, we're into a, another series now um and if this was your first time listening thank you you can go back and listen to all our episodes if you like um or you can find us on twitter at sleepy underscore computer and you can send us suggestions for stories or genres that you'd like us to tackle um i mean we're starting to a little bit get in the swing of it now and i find that the stories are slightly making more sense at like mm-hmm. the macro level but things like go off the rails pretty quickly as i say like the first third of this story basically pretty... made sense yeah um so i think we're sort of getting the hang of how to lead it in the right direction but sometimes it comes out with some absolute corkers so um, i'm pretty happy with that uh cool great well thank you very much for listening and um yeah for more information you can go to our website at www.sleepy.computer <laughs>